to be able to take it to that next level. That's what I'm excited about. Throws over the middle, wide open, across the five. He's in. Touchdown, Houston. Fires underneath. This is intercepted. Back-to-back possessions with picks for this Texans defense. Takeaway number three on the day. Game day is every day. Five nights a week, the hits keep on coming. Now, it's Texans All Access. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Looking at that beautiful logo right now. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. So glad you are with me this evening. And, oh, boy, do we have a jam-packed show talking a lot of L.A. Chargers. I almost said San Diego, but I caught myself. And we're going to talk with a former Charger who is a current Texan. We're going deep slant with Scott Quesenberry as DP sat down with Scotty. So we'll have that from the Texans starting center. Matt Money Smith is a play-by-play voice of the L.A. Chargers. And Mark Vandermeer, and he sat down to talk about this one. Mark and I will have plenty of things to talk about. And we've got our In the Lab for this week. And Drew and I talk about cream of the crop players for the matchup against the Chargers. But we're going to start with somebody that knows the Chargers very, very well. You know him as General Manager Nick Casario, and we know him as General Manager Nick Casario. Yeah, it's Nick Casario who sat down with Mark and I to talk about this matchup with the Chargers, some things that need to improve as we go forward with this Texas squad. It's time. It's Nick. It's Mark. It's me. Let's go. All right, so progress report, obviously not where you want to be. You're right there at the moment of truth in these games, unable to close out. We know about the tie, two losses in a row. Your assessment, Nick, as you try to get over the hump in the fourth quarter of these outings. Yeah, done some things well in some areas. Other areas we have to improve. Um, The margin of error is pretty small in this league, as we all know. So it comes down to a handful of plays each week, whether it's and a half, situational, red area. I mean, those are the plays in the end that are going to be critically important to the outcome of the game. So some areas that we need to to get fixed. Um, The sooner we get those fixed, then hopefully it will aid our team. So overall, making progress, not really where we need to be. You know, obviously disappointing, but you got to turn the page. New challenge, new opportunity in front of us is Sunday against the Chargers. Nick, we talk about rookies a lot. You know that. I ask you about it a lot. And you always talk about it's the second year that you really kind of look at. I mean, we're three games in. We're watching Jalen Petrie, and he's stringing together some pretty good games. What's the key for him to kind of keep that going at the level that he's playing at right now? And did you anticipate when you studied him and, and looked at him when he was at Baylor that he could have this impact this early? Yeah, each player is kind of their own entity, and they're going to make progress you know, relative to their own situation. I think it's a credit to the players, a credit to the coaches. So, um, you know, I think Jalen's been consistent from the day that he walked in the building. I'd say, really, your performance on the field is about the daily preparation and the input that you put in during the course of the week. And I'd say he's been very consistent since day one, among other players as well. So, it's enabled him to make some improvements. Um, you know, first couple games, missed some tackles, so we try to improve some tackling. Some made some progress in that area. Less missed tackles, I would say, collectively as a defense. We've had too many missed tackles, so that's something that we need to get fixed and need to get cleaned up. So each player kind of goes at their own pace, um, but he's had the opportunity in some games to finish some plays, and he's been able to do that. Nick, Pierce and the ground game. Every week it's getting a little bit better, a little bit more production. What do you make of where you're headed? 
Yeah, had some good runs. Um, we had some opportunities there, whether it was the, the read, finishing a block. So it's just kind of that extra doing the right thing each play. I think ball security is going to be important as well. I think anytime you put the ball on the ground, mm -hmm. you know, you become a target instantly. So I think taking care of the football, um, something that we're all going to have to be diligent about, specific to DP. Um, and there's runs there. The line did a good job on some plays. So it's a combination of just the line and the tight end and the blocking and the running back being in unison with how the play is designed, how the play is blocked, and then how ultimately how the play is executed. Nick, when I think about a running back and, and fumbling, I think of Tiki Barber because early in Tiki's career, he was a guy that fumbled. But then he kind of changed a little bit of the way he gripped it. I don't know if he made kind of a mental change too. But all of a sudden, from that point forward, he never fumbled again. So as it pertains to running backs, is fumbling a little bit more mental or is it more physical? Yeah, no, it's certainly somebody something that can be improved. It's about technique, and it's about you putting the work in to improve the actual skill. So whether it's practice reps, whether it's how you carry the ball, I'd say in a couple of those situations, he was in a position where he was spinning. Right. So anytime you spin, you, know, you really don't know what's around you. Um, the atmosphere around you, who's around you, the defenders around you, and then when you kind of re-engage, then they're poking at the ball, balls away from your frame. So I would say ball security is really about basic technique. It's There's certain points of pressure that you want to make sure that you ensure the elbow's tight and it's high and tight. You know, you have good pressure on the ball and being consistent. And then when you're in traffic, making sure that those techniques and fundamentals carry over. Nick Mills and the passing game saw a touchdown pass last week to Jordan Akins. We'll get to him in a moment, but where are you at with this right now? What's the progress report? I know you want to see more. You had the deflected interceptions. They were costly the other day. Yeah, I mean, overall as a team, it's a big thing like we talked about, just the overall execution, just whether it's offensively, defensively, the kicking game. You know, we've done a decent job in that area. So passing game is about timing, it's about execution. Um, sometimes it's what the defense is doing the other side of the ball and that is a play match up with the coverage that they're playing behind it. So you got to put all those things together. Um, and when there's opportunities to throw and catch, you got to make their good throw. Receivers got to make the good catch and then just keep the ball moving down the field. And as Mark said, Jordan Aikens coming in, I think it's fascinating. The three touchdown receptions this year have been by guys that weren't in training camp. And we saw that a little bit last year with Danny making the touchdown catch in the first game. What does it say, Nick, about Jordan that he can step in in an offense that's probably a little different than what he was used to here and then be as productive as he was on Sunday? Yeah, Jordan's an experienced player. He's a smart kid. He works hard. He has a certain level of skill, which, I mean, this organization has seen even prior to you know my arrival here a couple of years ago. But, um, you know, we saw it last year when the opportunities that Jordan had. So, to your point, John, you really never know where the production is going to come yeah. from and when a player is going to get an opportunity. So, whether it was Jordan or Graylin Arnold, got elevated to the game, made a play um, on punt coverage. So, each week, you never really know where it's going to come from. That's why, as a player, you just have to make sure that you're prepared and ready for your opportunity to play because you really don't know when that's going to happen. So that's part of being a pro, and that's part of preparing weekly as if you're going to play. You talked about tackling a little bit earlier. We talked about Petrie and everything. Defensively, Nick, how do you evaluate when you give up those yards on the ground with a 281, yet the point total wasn't out of control or anything like that? We've seen other games where you get a bunch of yards in the NFL, but you might not get the points. So how do you evaluate that side of the football as you move on here? Point no. total, you're top 10 in the league. Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting assessment. So ultimately, it's about the game's about points. So you want to minimize the points, um, but there's still components that go into actually getting the, allowing the team to get down into the scoring area. So I think from week one, you know, defensively, we've been pretty good in the red area. That's one of the things that we've done well. We've been pretty good on third down. Mm -hmm. Just have to clean up some of the tackling, some of the run game, some of its fits, some of its execution, some of its leveraging the ball properly. It's making sure that we're in the right position. So all those things factor into it. So 
those are things that we're going to work on. We're continue to stress, continue to harp on and see if we can make some improvements till we get it fixed. You know, it will still be a little bit of an issue. So, but ultimately it's about points. It's about keeping them out of the end zone. So if we can continue that trend and keep them out of the end zone and then take care of some of the fundamentals and the tackling, then we'll see some improvements in some different areas. Nick, you mentioned Graylin Arnold making that tackle on special teams. That was just one of numerous exceptional plays from the special teams. That group, has been good for the first two weeks, but then week three, it felt like, man, they went to another level. I mean, bang his field goals. You got the fake punt. Graylin made that great stop. You got the return from Desmond King. Special teams been really good, but it felt like week three went to a different level. What do you think of that unit? Yeah, we've talked about it on this show as well. I mean, a kicking game is an integral part of any team and what you do. Um, we allocate a lot of time and resources to the kicking game. The players are invested in it, and the players care about it. And, you know, we feel we're fortunate to have some players that are good in their roles. Being good in the kicking game starts with the specialists. So if you have good specialists, then it gives everybody else to have an opportunity. So it starts with Kai, uh, with Kai with Cam, and with Weeks. So if those three players, if your specialists are good, it gives us the opportunity to be good in the kicking game. So the right kick, the right placement, gives the opportunity for the coverage units to get down the field, snap and hold on the field goals and the extra points. So it starts with the specialists and those three guys. I mean, they, they work well together as a group. They work really hard, and they invest a lot of time. And then the core group, they invest a lot of time, a lot of energy. So kicking game is about want to. It's about toughness um, and some of those in your overall competitiveness. There's a certain level of skill that's involved as well, but understanding what the other team is trying to do, whether it's their return, how they structure the return. Say the fake punt was very well executed by MJ, the timing you know, with the motion, and then we had the look that we wanted, and then we were able to execute the play and kind of kept the drive going there. So the players put a lot of time into it. Frank and Sean put a lot of time into it. So I think the most important thing is maintaining a certain level of performance. You don't want to see any sort of drop-off. So if you're doing something well, you want to keep it well. If you're not doing something as well, okay, you have to figure out a way to try to get that fixed and try to find some solutions. So we just need to continue to do that as a team, and hopefully we continue to execute in a kicking game like we've done the first three weeks. Frank Ross is impossible not to notice. So in the <laughs> which coaches are the most fired up category, not necessarily on this team, but position coaches at large, special teams, D-line, O-line, help me out here. Which yeah. is the most? I think you're, whenever you coach a position, you're always invested in that particular group, and mm-hmm. you want to see them do well. So you should have energy. You should have excitement. And because you spend a lot of time, everybody puts a lot of work into it. And then when you see a positive result, like you should be excited and you should be, you should celebrate that. So coaching entails emotion. There's a lot of emotion in this game. So it's how you coach. What are the things that you think you need to do to get that group to perform at an optimum level? So every coach, every individual has their own coaching style. So I'd say Frank's probably the best barber on the team. So and I think everybody <laughs> that saw helps. that when he had the, uh, the charitable event. So he does that. He probably coaches uh, special teams better than he cuts hair, but uh, hopefully that's uh, we maintain that. So I know you're into organizational structure. Well, maybe you're not into it, but you're aware of it. On the outside world, corporate America, Frank Ross is a boss, but he doesn't have direct reports really with these players. There are dotted lines to the special teams coordinator, <laughs> right? They report to their position coaches and coordinators on offense and defense. So he's got to be a different kind of boss that way. It's interesting. The special teams coach, it's probably the one uh, group or one area where you work with everybody on the team. So offensive line, you're working on the field goal protection, defensive line, field goal block. You're working with the call it the skill players, secondary to tight ends to running backs. So other than the quarterback, unless the quarterback's a holder or something like that, you're essentially interfacing and touching every area of the team. So it's an interesting, I would say, dynamic 
uh, going back to, to, you know, Harbaugh, you know, Coach Harbaugh in Baltimore with his background, kicking game, and then he kind of transitioned to one year. So mm-hmm. you have an opportunity to kind of touch the whole team and kind of interface mm-hmm. with the whole team. So you have to figure out what works outside of their individual specific, you know, position that they play um, inside of the ball that they're coached. Okay, I'm going to ask you a tricky question then. You mentioned John Harbaugh. He's one of very few former special teams coaches that have taken over as a head coach, and he's had a lot of success at Baltimore. But, Nick, we really haven't seen that through the rest of the NFL of special teams coordinators. They've gotten interviews, but they really haven't gotten that opportunity to be a head coach. Is there a reason for that in your opinion? Yeah, I wouldn't say there's any particular reason. I mean, the reality is every team, every organization has their own philosophy, and ultimately you have to do what they feel is best. But there's a lot of good coaches in this league, position coaches, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, head coaches, and the special teams coaches. I mean, been fortunate to be around some pretty good ones. I mean, Brad Seeley, who was here in Houston, we had the opportunity to be together. Scotty O'Brien in New England. Uh, you know, Coach Harbaugh has a reputation throughout the league. So there's a lot of good special teams coaches, you know, in the league. So I wouldn't say there's any rhyme or reason, John. Yeah. I think everybody just kind of has to look at their own situation and decide what, they, you know, what they yeah. feel makes the most sense. Okay, Nick, you're playing the Chargers, and uh, this is confession time because back in the 80s, which I'm dating myself now, I was really into that Air Courier sure, absolutely. Offense. That was one of my favorite teams A lot of good players. A lot, a lot of, good, of players good players on that one. Now, I have no affiliation, no affection at all for these current Chargers and haven't since the 80s. But where does that offense stack up for you historically? Uh, yeah, when you talk about Fouts, Winslow. Uh, uh, Charlie Joyner. Yeah, I mean, that group of skill players. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were as good a passing group that probably, you know, in the history of the league. So. Yeah. I would say when you look at the passing game, you look at offense. I mean, Don Coriel, I mean, go back and start to trace the lineage here a little bit and how mm-hmm. he's impacted, I would say, offense, offensive football throughout the league. Mm-hmm. I was only, I mean, in the 80s, I was six years old or whatever it yeah, was. So uh, yeah. have more awareness <laughs> as you get a little bit older and start to, to harken back and see some of the more successful teams. But with Fouts, Winslow, I mean, I mean, the image that I remember um, is with the game in Miami where they yep. were basically like physically just spent and exhausted and, you know, Kellen was basically barely walking off the right. field. Um, but, 31-38 overtime. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but um, a lot of good teams, a lot of good players. Um, and I would say, coincidentally, you know, the, the Chargers have one of the best passing offenses in the league. So it's different people. It's not the same system, but mm-hmm. you're talking about however many, 25, 30 years later, whatever it is, but talk about one of the top passing offenses in the league. So it's sort of coincidental, I guess. A, do you guys get fined up in the office like we do if you call them San Diego? And B, <laughs> it is the Chargers this week, the current Chargers. <laughs> So let's get the scouting report. Yeah, I just call them the Chargers. I don't yeah. get caught yeah, up. Yeah, that helps. That's the Raiders. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, really, I would say good team, good organization, top to bottom. Spanos family ownership group. Um, hired Brandon, you know, a couple of years ago, Brandon Staley, um, who's a very you know, one of the better young coaches in the league. Uh, Tommy Telesco has done a good job. He's mm-hmm. been there a number of years. So I'd say they certainly have stability at the top of the organization. You know, drafted Herbert, you know, a few years ago, um, and he's become one of the better young players in the league. So offensively, everything kind of starts with Justin in a passing game. Um, and they have two premier players on the perimeter in Mike Williams and Keenan. Keenan's kind of been in and out of the, the lineup here a little bit. But when Keenan's on the field, he's been as productive as any receiver in the league. So very instinctive. He plays inside the formation, knows how to get open. Mike is a more of a, I would say, vertical downfield receiver who makes a lot of contested catches. Um, decent group of tight ends. Eckler is a multi-purpose back, even though he's, I would say, small. He's not – he's sturdy, so yeah. he's just short and he doesn't weigh a lot. But 
he runs and plays stronger than I would say you think he does. And he's really productive in the passing game. So a three down back. So signed Sony to kind of give them some depth, you know, in the running game as well in an offensive line. So, I mean, big loss with Slater if he is out, but he was better, one of the better young tackles. Drafted Zion Johnson in the first round to kind of help solidify some things um, in the interior of the offensive line. They haven't had Lindsley. So they have some premier players on their offense, and some of them have not been available. But pretty formidable, I would say, offensive team in a passing game, you know, with Justin on the field. And defensively, what they did in the offseason, they really kind of supplemented the interior of their defensive front. They had a running game was a little bit of an issue for them last year, but they went out and signed Austin Johnson, signed Sebastian Joseph Day, who was with Brandon in uh, in L.A. I think they have five total players on defense that have experience in, in a Brandon system. So whether it's Bryce Callahan, Troy Reader, you know, Callahan's a nickel, Reader's kind of backup depth. Um, they went out and made a commitment to J.C. Jackson, um, who's one of the better young corners in the mm-hmm. league. Um, and they have, I would say, as versatile a defensive player in Derwin James, who essentially lines up in, I mean, six different positions, made the trade for Mac, and then Bosa's been kind of a mainstay there from the beginning. So I'd say high-end talent across the team. Um, they've had some injuries that have kind of derailed their progress here a little bit, but, you know, we're just going to have to prepare for everybody and then go out there and execute for, you know, what we think is a pretty good opponent and a pretty good team. I've got one more for you. I know you have all that tracking stuff on the players as far as, during training camp, when you're monitoring their bodies at practice, you measure up, you have all the data. How does that continue through the season during games and in practice? And yeah. what do you get out of that right now? Yeah, no, it's a very interesting observation. I would say you're just trying to track the performance of the players during the course of the week. And a lot of it is to help aid their recovery process. So how much they're running, how much high speed they're running, what's their load that they exert over the course of the week. Because ultimately, you're trying to make sure that they optimize their performance on Sunday. So you track that information, but there's multiple factors that go into it. So nutrition is important. Sleep is important. Recovery is important. So you're just trying to make sure that the player is equipped and their bodies are as prepared as possible. So when they go out there on Sundays, they can perform at optimum level. So we track it all through the offseason, track it during training camp, track it during the regular season. Now you can track it during the games as well. So we have data and information that we accumulate during a week data from the game so you can kind of see how much I would say force how much speed how how much load they exert during the course of of a week and in a game and then look at what they're you know we're doing the course of the week and just making sure that we're putting the players in the best position possible so it's data that's available again it's just more of a reference point more than anything else and then you just have to figure out what makes the most sense in terms of how you incorporate it into your schedule does that change at all Nick once you get to a point in the CBA and I can't remember what week it is when you're not allowed to hit anymore during practice does that change the way you look at it a little bit yeah, not necessarily. So, because the practice is still structured a certain way, right. so pads add a certain additional stimulus when you do have pads. So, I want to say it's like week eleven or week twelve. Once you get to that point, you can only have three padded practices over the course of six or seven weeks. So, essentially, where you're at now, you're allowed one padded practice roughly a week, and you choose to use it. If you don't use it, then you can move it out however you want to do it. So. Whatever the rules are, we are always in compliance with those. So it doesn't necessarily change anything. It's just the stimulus that the player has to exert. You're carrying your pads. I mean, look, everybody knows what that's like. As you get longer in the year, you carry your pads, but you've been carrying them for however many weeks on Sundays. So I think everybody kind of knows what pads feel like when they put them on. Okay, Nick, thanks a lot for joining us. Good luck this week. Thanks, guys. It's always great catching up with the GM of your Houston Texans, Nick Casario. We do that every single Wednesday evening hope you like it coming up next a guy that nick casario signed this offseason the name is familiar 
His two brothers have been in this building. And now it's time for Scott Quesenberry to make a name for himself right here with the Houston Texans on Sunday against his former team. D.P. Sidhu did a little deep slant with Scott Quesenberry. That's next on Texans All Access. Texans Radio continues in a moment. You look nice. How was work? Well, it was fourth period civics. The kids were giving me the third degree. Was a UFO seen hovering over Washington, D.C.? Was a fisherman attacked by a 320-pound shrimp? They'd been bitten by the fake news bug, all right? And it was holding on like a driver's ed student to a steering wheel. How was I going to get a bunch of wide-eyed kids to wise up about what they see on the Internet? Then it hit me. Like a dodgeball on field day. The name of the game was News Snoops. Each student got an article and two minutes to decide if it was credible or a fake. They were able to use fact-checking sites to get the cold, hard truth. Now the little hotshots are even teaching their gullible grannies a thing or two about phony news. But how was your day? Pretty good. I got a new title today. Office birthday party planner. Oh, fun. Teachers just have better work stories. If you want a creative, collaborative job worth talking about, head to teach.org. Brought to you by teach.org. Brought to you by teach.org. Brought to you by teach.org. Texans Radio is back. Yes, sir, you heard the man. It's Texans All Access time from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Appreciate you being here with me, your host, John Harris. It's now my ninth year of doing this and love being with you every Wednesday at this time. During season, out of season, love being with you and appreciate you guys being here. I also am a huge fan of DP Sidhu and DP and I, you can hear, calling the Battle of the Piney Woods. That's right, on television. I'll be calling a game with Randy McAvoy. DP will be down on the sidelines for that one. And here's my, you know, John Lopez and Landry Locker have been having these lunchtime confessions. Well, here's my uh, dinnertime confession. I've never had a chance to see the Battle of the Piney Woods. We've always been out of town. Now I'm getting to call it on Saturday, and it might be the last one. So I'm glad I get to do that. But DP had some work to do before that, and that was catching up with a little deep slant interview with Scott Quesenberry. So here we go. DP, take it away. It's the Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. Joining me this week, Scotty Quesenberry. Scott Quesenberry. I feel That's like, me. I feel like you're Scotty since I've <laughs> met your entire family. And here you are starting for the Texans. How does year five feel for you so far? Good. Definitely uh, a little different. Wasn't what, you know, we kind of anticipated going in. But, you know, we're making it work and uh, we're getting better every week. Yeah. You did not know that you are going to be the center when you signed here this offseason. So a lot of things changed. But how much did just playing in the preseason help, even though you weren't with the same starting five that you're with now? Yeah, well, you always plan to be the starter, really. Well, at least that's what I kind of feel. Always prepare like that, and um, when your number's called, just make sure that your teammates trust you and believe in you and have that respect for you. And, uh, you know, now um, building the chemistry with the guys, obviously I played with Titus and AJ quite a bit in the preseason, so that was pretty good. But, um, you know, K missing time with the injury and then LT missing time in the games because – you know, just protecting him because he's just a stud and learning, helping them to come along and kind of grow this whole thing hasn't been too challenging. You know, they listen and, you know, they trust my communication skills and they trust me to help them get into the right place and then they just handle the rest. All right, you speak of communication skills. The one thing that I've heard from you from, I think Laramie mentioned it, AJ can mention it, that you communicate yeah. really well. Mm-hmm. You're a great communicator, sometimes maybe even an over-communicator. Yeah, well, I mean. Is that a good, I would imagine that's yeah. a good thing in your position. No doubt. You'd rather, you know, over-communicate than under-communicate. So um, <laughs> I just, you know, I just do my best to make sure that, you know, we're all on the same page and 
if we're all on the same page and it's the wrong page, you can kind of get stuff done that way. You can get away with it a little bit of times, but obviously the objective is to get everybody on the right page all the time. Is the over-communication maybe because those guys are veterans and they kind of know what's happening and you need to do that for some of the younger guys online, like, say, Kenyon? Uh, I'm, you know, I don't know. I kind of treat it as if it was the same. You know, if I had the four greatest offensive linemen playing around me, I'd probably still handle be it over the same way. Uh, it's just kind of <laughs> in my nature. And um, like I said, just trying to get everybody on the same page all the time. The one thing I've heard about this system with Pep Hamilton is that there is a lot more communication expected of the center. How does it feel for you? I know you and Pep were together with the Chargers. He had a different role, but coming here to the Texans, is it different from how you've played center in your career prior? Yes. Well, so my first three seasons or two seasons in the NFL, I had the benefit of being with Philip Rivers, who kind of just handled everything. And then when I was with the Chargers, we drafted Justin, and Justin is a very, you know, he wants to be great and do all that stuff, but it was a lot put on his plate really early. And so with Pep coming in, it kind of transformed, and the center and the quarterback worked way together way more than it ever had in the past. So I knew that coming here that it was going to kind of be the same way with Davis being a young quarterback, still learning, and, you know, us putting in the time and being able to take stuff off of his plate. Yeah, as soon as you found out that you were the starter, how does that work then? You need to immediately start getting more reps with Davis. Do you work extra with him? How do you guys get on the same page? Well, or um, is it already in place? As far as, like, the snap, you know, the center quarterback exchange, there wasn't really any big adjustment there because we had done so much in the in training camp and in the preseason. And then as far as just communicating, Davis trusts me to make the right call at the beginning of the play. And if he has to do something within the you know framework of the play – you know, we all trust him. So there hasn't really been much of a crazy transition period. It's been pretty smooth, I would say. And, you know, like I said, we're just getting better every week. Are you an over-communicator off the field as well? Um, Is this something that you're like off the field? No. Yes. <laughs> Are you the opposite? If you ask my wife, I'm not a good communicator. So I guess, Really? Yeah. So I guess uh, just when it comes to, you know, my career and my job, <laughs> I guess I am. And, uh, you know, I, I'm working on that at home for sure. She must be really surprised then when she hears all these comments about you being an overcommunicator. And- well, I don't think so because no. she knows how much time I put in oh, and sure. uh, okay. how important it is to me. So, not uh- saying that she's not. But <laughs> that's really funny. I thought you'd be, you'd be go home and you'd give like a play by play of dinner and like what you're doing now <laughs> and what everyone needs to do next. That's, I really wanted to picture you like that. In your no, house. not really. Oh, disappointing. Sorry. All right, so you grow up in L.A., you went to UCLA, you mm-hmm. play for the Chargers, then you moved to Texas. What's Texas been like? I love you? Texas. You the do. food's been awesome. Yeah. The food in Houston's great. The people in Houston are great. You know, I've enjoyed my time here. The weather has definitely been an adjustment. It's definitely hot. but uh, It's not California down here. No, not it's yet. not. But it felt nice out there today at practice. So, yeah. um, But for the most part, all in all, two thumbs up for for Two thumbs up. Well, we know your brothers really well. Mm-hmm. David, I covered him when he was a rookie. And then Paul was here last year. So it only is fitting that we've got you here. And so since we know, and, and the fans know the three brothers as well, I, I had a few questions just to get to know the three of you better. Okay. Collectively. All right. Okay. First of all, you're the youngest, right? Correct. The three? Okay. So out of the three of you, David, Paul, and yourself included, who is the funniest? Me. Really? Oh, Are you yeah. just saying that because you're biased? No. It's me, for sure. Okay. Uh, Who's the most competitive? Me. (laughs) I can see which way this is going. All right. Who's the mama's boy? Me. Really? Um, Is it because you're the youngest? Well, when I was young, me. 
Not as much me anymore. Who is it now? I plead the fifth. <laughs> but when I when we were younger, it was me for sure. Okay, best all around high school athlete. Me. What what other sports did you play? It's me or David. David was football and lacrosse, and then I was football, basketball, track and field. But I mean, like, wow. if we're really talking about it, it's me. I did football. I did basketball. I set the school record in shot put. Not to toot my own horn, but I did. You did. I also did the high jump, which a lot of people don't know. Okay. I was okay. I jumped five ten, which is pretty good. That's, that's great. Two seventy. So, <laughs> um, overall, at high school athlete, I'm going to go with me. That I, I'm so impressed that you did the high jump. Usually, guy offensive linemen, defensive linemen, they're like shot put. Yeah, guys. I did do shot put. I set the school record. Yeah, Scott, I was but just kind of jumping too. That's yeah, I was just kind of messing around at practice one day, and then our coach was like, "You know, you could get us points," and I was like, "Okay." So I started doing it. All right. I think you should lobby to be like a receiver or something out there with this vertical. Well, not anymore, but, you know, before goal line package, I'd be all over it, but not anymore. All right. Who is the best cook? Me. What do you make? What's your signature dish? Um, Lovey's coming over for dinner. What are you making? Oh, God. I do make a really good, like, Mediterranean chicken sandwich. Okay. With, like, so the chicken's marinated and then like bell peppers and then I put the goat cheese in the oven and broil it till it's all golden brown with tomatoes. I love Mediterranean food. Oh, so this me is too. Amazing. It's my favorite. But yeah. th- that's probably my go-to. We're actually having them tonight. Okay. Worst cook? I don't know worst, but I'd say I'll go most basic is Paul. <laughs> Paul eats like rice. And he was in the military. Rice, like he doesn't eat a lot. Right? Rice, ground beef, and avocado three <laughs> times a day for seven days a week. So. He's just not into food? Or no, he's, he's just, just a meathead. Meathead. Okay. Yeah. Uh, better student. Me. I was like, he's going to say me. me. You were. Are you re- <laughs> yeah. for real? Yeah. Best subject that you had. Well, the only reason I say me, best subject, I don't know. I was kind of pretty good all around. But the o- math, none of us were really good at. But the only reason that I say me is because... I had the best GPA in high school. I scored the best on the ACT. Ooh, I also had solid. the best GPA in college, although I didn't go to the most difficult college. Paul went to the most difficult college, and but I did have the best GPA in college. So okay. that's the reason I'm going to say me. But as far as best subject, I'm going just all around. Okay. I think the ACT score is pretty. Yeah. That's a, that's a, solid, that's yeah. a solid stat. So I'm going to go with me. Most musically talented. Do any of you guys play musical instruments or sing? Well, they both played piano when they were young. I don't know how much practice that's got lately, <laughs> uh, but we'll go ahead and say one of them. I don't know who, but not you. In other words, I could still say me, but uh, okay, I'm gonna be nice. All right, so could the three of you take on the Watt brothers, and who would win in that fight? Um, yes, we could, no doubt, because Paul was in the military. Yeah, we could. Two offensive linemen yep. versus and then two. Defensive, defensive lineman. And, and then, um, you know, I played with Derek uh, in L.A., so I think we could handle him. You could take him. Yeah, it'd be a good one, though. It'd be a, it'd be a great fight. Yeah, it'd be, uh, it would be one people would want to see for sure. Yeah, three the three-on-three, three. Yeah. Watt versus the Questenberries. Scotty, pleasure to meet you. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, guys. Deep City, Scott Questenberry, excellent interview. Also excellent, our men behind the mics. Well, you know Mark Vandermeer. But how about Matt Money-Smith for the Chargers? Yes, men behind the mics is next on Texans All Access. Texans All Access continues in a moment. Hey, Dr. Phil here. I help people solve difficult and trying personal problems every day on my TV show. But there's one problem that's just got me stumped. Childhood hunger. Nearly 16 million children in America struggle with it. 
That's one in five kids who may not know where their next meal is coming from, despite the fact that there's more than enough healthy, nutritious food out there to feed them all. Now, I don't know about you, but that is unacceptable to me. Luckily, the Feeding America network of good people is out there collecting surplus food and giving hope to hungry children and their families at local food banks all across the country. But let's face it, they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Back to the show that keeps you plugged in with the Houston Texans. Welcome back to Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris. It's time for our men behind the mics for the week, and that means Mark Vandermeer with Matt Money Smith of the Chargers. Mark, take it away. Joining us right now, Texans Radio, Matt Money Smith, voice of the L.A. Chargers. Matt, great to have you with us. And uh, how's it going there after losing to the Jaguars, a team the Texans are very familiar with, but maybe not this version. What did you make of them and that game you just experienced over the weekend? Well, uh, it wasn't great. Um, it was ugly. It was a, a, a thrashing. And obviously, I the Chargers lost uh, two of their – four most important players and I think including the second most important player on the team and maybe the second and third most important player on the team I think Slater is is number two behind Herbert he's been so good at left tackle doesn't need help he's blocked the most dominant pass rushers in the league one-on-one straight up and rendered them um, you know pretty much useless for a defense and to have him gone and you know, you don't really have an average level replacement there is, is a big mess and obviously Bosa you saw from the moment he left that game the Jaguars offense kicked into high gear and uh, and really was able to get after the Chargers without that pass rush coming from both sides. So it was a mess for the Chargers. As far as the Jags go, I think I thought they were very physical. Uh, they dominated both lines. I think they just dominated the game from a physical standpoint. I thought uh, Doug Peterson was masterful in his play calling. Uh, it seemed like he was a step ahead. The whole game, um, the, the Chargers run defense had been really good coming into that game. And between Robinson and, and Etienne, uh, really gave them fits. And they just could not quite get the sticks to their advantage very often in that game. It was third and short, you know, pretty regularly. And I think that's why the Jags kind of had their way. And, and just to kind of, you know, put a button on it, man, Trevor Lawrence looks, you know, like we all thought he was supposed to look last year before that coaching disaster damn near sabotaged his career. Well, that's alarming news for Texans fans and everybody else in the AFC South. The Texans will find out more next week. Matt Money Smith, voice of the L.A. Chargers, joining us on Texans Radio. What about Herbert? I know he's got the injury, still was able to throw the ball last week. I know it wasn't the kind of game they were looking for overall, but what do you make of him coming into week four with the health situation? Yeah, I'll tell you, it, it was interesting. Um, just because he he had some he had some of those Herbert wild throws, you know, the throws that only he can make. Um, there was a play when Josh Allen was draped on his back and he just uncorked a 54-yarder to Jalen Geitlin off one leg, you know, pinpoint, just right in the basket. So there was that. Um, but then – he was, you know, he was less accurate than we're used to seeing. He was opening up on throws. Uh, they were sailing on him. Uh, he was short-arming some throws, and we're just not used to that. He's been so good, so accurate, uh, puts the ball at a spot where the receivers can catch it exactly where he wants to put it, and that was just kind of missing. And I don't know if that was a sort of shake the rust off 
kind of thing, or, you know, just wasn't quite sure about how the body was going to respond. And because it did seem like he got a little better as the game went on. Um, but I, I, you know, just to kind of answer the question straight away. Yeah, he's affected his, his throwing, his game is definitely affected by this fractured rib cartilage. All right. So what do you think of the ground game here? You had 75 yards against the chiefs. I know it's the chiefs and those games can get away from you. Obviously not able to run it well enough against the Jaguars. What about the charger ground attack, Matt, moving forward? So I'll tell you, like coming out of the chiefs game and I went back and watched it, I was kind of buying what the coaching staff was saying, which is, yeah, the rush numbers aren't good, but, you know, we were in a ton of third shorts. You know, we were ahead of the sticks. So if you look at all of our rushes, yeah, they're going for three yards, but they're three yards on a third and two, or they're three yards on a third and three, and we're getting those first downs. And, and that held. And then the Jags game happened. And I was like, okay, that's, that's no longer the case. Uh, that this is an issue. They can't run to the right side. Um, they're not committed to the run game. There's nothing exotic about it. There's no flashes. They're just kind of handing the ball off and expecting a line to open a hole and a running back to make a play. And it just seems like the most successful run games in the league now have a lot of pre-snap misdirection, uh, a lot of counters, and we're just not quite seeing that. Um, Austin Eckler carried four times for five yards. That's that's just unacceptable. That's a failure on so many different levels. And I don't know, you know, where to start. If it's a coaching play calling thing, if it's an offensive line blocking thing, if it's an Eckler thing, but whatever it is, it's got to be remedied, especially with the injury to Rashawn Slater, especially with the fractured ribs of, of Justin Herbert, you know, on Sunday against the Texans, they are going to have to run the ball and they're going to have to do it with Eckler. There's, there, there's no excuse for Sony Michelle to have more carries than Eckler in a game. There just isn't. He doesn't have the juice that Eckler has. So, you know, I think the idea was long-term. Austin tends to break down because he's a smaller guy if you give him way too much of a workload. So let's make sure we don't give him too much of a workload early in the season so he's fresh for the playoffs. Well, the, the playoffs are no longer, you know, something you feel really good about. They're going to have to fight. You know, they're going to have a rock fight every single Sunday for wins. So I, I think you're going to see a, a much heavier dose than a, of Eckler and a much more creative approach to the run game. Matt Money Smith joining us, voice of the L.A. Chargers. So the game last year, obviously a lot of talk about that here because the Texans won it and they played pretty well in that game. What is the memory there? And is it being brought up a lot this year heading into the matchup, Matt? Yeah, a li well, yes, it is. I think it is just because it was such a weird game. They win that game, and you feel really good about winning one of your last two and getting into the playoffs pretty much with 10 wins, and they lose it. I mean, it was a pivotal turning point of the season. It was just the ultimate outlier game. You know, they had 15 guys out with COVID. They had Mike Davis get pulled off the field after testing positive with COVID. We spent Christmas on an airplane and um, confined to our rooms because we couldn't go out because of COVID. Like, it, it, and there was just no energy. There was no energy on the flight. There was no energy in the hotel. I, I mean, you were in the stadium. There must have been, what, 5,000 people there. There was no energy in the stadium. It was just a, you know what I mean? It was just a really weird game. Um, so I think that's, that's sort of the one thing. Like, it, was, it, it truly is probably one of the strangest games I've ever been part of. Like, just the way the whole thing felt. So I think if it were a straight up, wow, the Chargers played their asses off and the, and the Texans really gave them the business, 
then I think it would have been talked about a lot more. Instead, you know, everybody, I think, is just so focused on what the heck happened to this team that we thought had the best roster on paper before the season. And it's technically, if none of those three guys that played last week and don't play again this week, is now down five all pros and pro bowlers in week four. What, what has happened to this season and what has happened to this team? Mm. Matt Money Smith joining us. And Matt, you do the Petros and Money show. Obviously, you're well plugged into the whole LA sports scene. You used to host Lakers pre and post game shows, if I'm not mistaken. How do you feel the Chargers yep. are fitting into the LA landscape? I know the Rams won the Super Bowl, so that's a tough comparison right there. But what is your assessment of how it's going so far? I know the season's record is not where you want it to be so far, but all that aside. Well, I thought this was a huge season for them. Um, and I think it is. And I think they look, I think if all those guys come back this week, if Corey Lindsley comes back, if Keenan Allen comes back and he's healthy and JC's healthy, then I still think, you know, they could they can make the playoffs. This roster is good enough to make mm -hmm. the playoffs. I think they have to do that. Um, you know, Herbert's a star. He's not just a star, he's a superstar. This town loves superstars. You know, if, if he has another season like his first two seasons and he gets a playoff win, um, he, you know, he'll be the he'll be the most popular football player in town. He'll be more popular than Aaron Donald because he's a quarterback, you right. know, and he's a six foot six Adonis, you know, that 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 boys, you know, want to emulate. They want to pretend like they're Justin Herbert on their flag football team. And, you know, I have three daughters. They think he's dreamy. And, you know, your your mom and your grandparents think he's the greatest thing ever because he was an academic All-American bio major. And, uh, and and didn't want to leave Eugene so he could stay close to his family. Like he, he's it on every level. He, he's everybody's whatever you want in, in someone as a football player goes, he's it. Um, he's got to win, you know, and he's got to play great. And I think if they do that, then they can really make a dent in this town because people will want to watch number 10 and they'll want to wear his jersey and they'll want to come see his games and they'll all say he's their favorite player and therefore the Chargers can become their favorite football team. Matt Moneysmith, voice of the Chargers with us. All right, so the popularity of the Rams, it's got to be there. They just won the Super Bowl. Good team, I get it. But are the Lakers, Dodgers, who's king in L.A. really in the sports scene? Uh, the Dodgers. The, the Dodgers, uh, I think, at this point, by, by quite a margin. Um, you know, they have a number of homegrown stars. They still have the best pitcher of his generation in, in Clayton Kershaw. And when he goes out there every fifth day, place is packed and people go crazy. You know, Mookie's a superstar. Um, and then you have a lot of fun players, you know, like Trey Turner. Um, you have homegrown talent, you know, like Cody Bellinger, even though he's slumping. Um, they still love Cody, is it? you know, because he was an MVP. Um, you got so much. So I think, you know, and, and the fact that they've won, you know, they've won the division, you know, the, they just clinched it this year. So nine of 10 years, they've been to three World Series. They've won one. Um, the Lakers are a bunch of mercenaries right now, hired guns. You know, there's no homegrown talent on that team. Um, you know, even when they like traded for Powell, nobody knew who Powell Gasol was. You know, Powell was just this, this European guy from that was playing for the Grizzlies, you know. LeBron James has won championships. Russell Westbrook's been a league MVP. Anthony Davis, you know, was, you know, sort of in this, this controversial exchange where small market teams aren't allowed to hold off the big boys and LeBron's agency, you know, forced his way out of there. And aren't we the big bad LA market? So it's just a weird team right now. Um, even when, it's funny, I'll tell you, even when they won their title, it was just a very weird, and probably because it was the bubble as well and it was yeah. COVID, but 
just a real weird vibe, you know, like the Dodgers are LA team. There's 55,000 seats. You can get in there for 10 bucks, you know, and, and it really can't, it really encompasses the entire city. It's all, you know, it's all races, all nationalities, boys, girls, women, men, grandparents, great grandparents, you know, what Fernando mania meant, what Vin meant to this city, Jackie Robinson, you know, there's just so much there that no other franchise has and can bank on. I always love that men behind the mic series. It was, it was my inspiration and Mark has executed it perfectly every single week. Those two men will be on the call on Sunday, Matt money Smith for the chargers. And of course, Mark Vandermeer with the Houston Texans. Mark stays with me in this next segment as I hit him with a few lefts and rights. We'll see how he counters that next on Texans All Access. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. Streaming now, only on Peacock. Fall in love with Pete Davidson and Kaylee Cuoco and meet cute. You ever had a night like this ever in your entire life? A new Peacock original film about the perfect first date. Cheers, mate. That was kind of weird. Oh, not really. Or was it? I've spent the entire week with you. This night, seven times in a row. I'm sorry, I'm a little confused. I'm from the future. Do you think I'm crazy? Yeah, but it's really cute. Meet cute. Streaming now. Only on Peacock. Only on Peacock. To be able to take it to that next level, that's what I'm excited about. Throws over the middle, wide open, across the five. He's in. Touchdown, Houston. Fires underneath. This is intercepted. Back-to-back possessions with picks for this Texas defense. Takeaway number three on the day. Game day is every day. Five nights a week, the hits keep on coming. (laughs) Now, it's Texans All Access, presented by Mattress Firm. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. John Harris here, Mark Vandermeer there. Mark, I thought about this. I was doing Texans matchup uh, last night. Uh, Check that out, HoustonTexans.com. Go to the app. Pull that down. It's very it's a cool. Listen, I like it uh, because I put it together. But I was doing the alternate eleven for the Bears game, and I followed it up because matchup is kind of a look back with a look ahead. Like, hey, we're looking ahead to the Chargers. Hey, let's look back when we beat them. And I was going to go through and kind of do a, a an alternate eleven from that game, but I was going to exclude anybody that is on the roster now that wasn't on the roster last year or okay. whatever. So or has I, left right. Yeah. So I went and I listened to the Ultimate 11 from that game against the Chargers. And one of the things that stands out in that game is that there might be a few guys hurt, like Tevier Thomas, but the guys that made plays in that game against the Chargers to get a win are the same guys that are on this roster this year. It's kind of the, it's kind of the first time in a while that we've kind of had that situation. Tevier yeah. had the pick. Chris Moore had a big play in that game. Phil Dorsett made the catch uh, down the sideline. Davis was was spitting it. Nico had the touchdown catch. Rex ran for 140-something yards in that game. 149. The guys that made plays in that game were all the guys that are still in this rush. That's kind of the first time we've been able to say that in a while. It's kind of weird to think about. Rex with 149. Run Rex. Yes. Never mind, Pierce. Yeah. We want to start Rex. Yeah. I say that <laughs> because you know what the narrative has been. Right. But... It's interesting that Rex got that many yards. I know it's a different Charger team in some ways and injuries and whatnot, but they're banged up again. Maybe some different guys are banged up. Royce Freeman also had 34 yards in that game. 189 on the ground for the Texans, Johnny. 
Give me some of that. They have not run for 100 yet, as you know. And Mills threw for 254 last year. Look, we're talking a lot about last year. If we were in the Chargers division, we'd still talk about last year. But we'd take it differently, right? Sure. The Jags and the Colts this year. I know they beat them in Jacksonville last year, but it looks like a different Jaguar team. So uh, it's hard to really gauge what that means relative to this. But it's an interesting point. You have some continuity here on a Texans team that had success against that squad. Here's one of the things that stayed not the same. We were able to run the ball better than we ran against anybody all year, and there was a lot of emphasis on the Chargers fixing the run game, fixing the run game, fixing the run game, fourth and one, 16 to 10 game, starting off the fourth quarter, and James Robinson runs through a hole that is the size of this building. Mm. breaks through one tackle and takes it to the house, and that just blew the game wide open right there. The Chargers get the stop. They got the ball at midfield down six, and who knows what's going to happen, but they're struggling, again, against teams that can run the ball. Now, it's to be proven still whether we are a team that – are we one of those teams that can run the ball or are we one of the teams that can really run the ball? Like, what are we – at this point, what are we going to evolve into? And I don't know, maybe this game against the Chargers leads us in a little bit more of a direction of where our identity. That's one of the questions I i don't think coaches always know what the identity of their team is. Mm-hmm. Are we a running team? Are we throwing a team? Do we like to do this? Are we good here? Are we there? Are we physical this? Are we more finesse? Are we more like open it up? Let's go. I feel like the identity of this team wants to be physical in the run game, defensively take advantage of takeaways, and be better in run defense. And that's what they really want to hang their hat on. And I I don't know if we're quite there, but it feels like that's the way we're going. And maybe this is a game against the Chargers that they can get all the way where they want to be. I was wondering, is that the best rushing performance of the year last year? And yes, it was with the Mm -hmm. 189 on the ground. 160 in the opener against the Jags is the other. Now, 40 of that belonged to Tyrod Taylor on four carries. So, all right, that's still 120. That's very nice last year against the Jaguars. But I think that they do want to be a running team. I know that. They've said that publicly. They're running it better. Every week it gets a little bit better, but it's just not where you need it to be. You know, 80 yards for Pierce feels so disappointing considering the kind of afternoon he was having, yet you're also encouraged at the same time because it's an improvement over the last two weeks. So, Heading in the right direction here with four yards per carry. you got to give him the ball maybe even more in this game and trust him. He's your best offensive weapon. Yep. Look, I get it with the fumbles, and coaches get very uneasy if Ooh. they think the ball has a chance to go on the ground. But if a quarterback throws a near pick, right, right, a deflection, no one picks it off, it falls incomplete, you don't pull him from the game unless he's wildly ineffective. I know it's a different position, sure, but we'll see how they handle Pierce this week. I think Pierce will handle the ball that much better and hopefully take any kind of decision like that away from them by having ball protection, ball security. I think the Chargers, and we said this back in the offseason, and you you know I was bullish on the Chargers because that's a talented roster. Yeah. J.C. Jackson and Bosa, I'm sorry, and Khalil Mack to Bosa and Derwin James. Boy, that defense is going to be stout. But then J.C. Jackson's been dealing with injury. Bosa got hurt last week. And Brandon Staley said it's a significant injury. He's week to week. Well, if he's significant, you would think he's probably not going to play this week. But but who knows? Khalil Mack is still there. And they're going to have Khalil Mack and Derwin James, you would think, that they didn't have last year against us. But there's no Bosa. Uh, there's no J.C. Jackson. So 
how can they go about hurting that team? And then Justin Herbert is the ultimate one dealing with that rib car- cartilage issue. And there's a throw in that Jaguars game, and they were going right to left on my screen. So I think mm-hmm. that was the third quarter. He throws a he throws a ball. I'm I'm telling you, two maybe Mahomes makes it, maybe Rodgers, definitely Josh Allen because Josh Allen's got that strength. Maybe two or three other quarterbacks in the league make that throw, and he just throws one deep down the field on a dime. And I'm like, with rib cartilage issues? Yeah. Are you are you kidding me? So, I I don't know what to make of this team with all the injuries that it has right now, and that's that's kind of concerning because it's like, okay, is that you know, is that the uh, the the injured animal in the corner that's just kind of cowering a little bit and then going to just pounce on you? Or is that the end of the counter that's kind of like so beaten up that it has just no energy and effort to kind of break out of that? It's a must win, I would think, for the Chargers to get back there. It's a must win for the Texans because they still have a zero in that left-hand column. Well, it's early. Everybody feels like they still have a chance. AFC yes. West, best division in football. Look at them, led by the Broncos, who had two very shaky wins, but they got them, yep. and they're 2-1 and one right now. I think the Chargers, they're going to look at this. They're going to give you everything they got, and we talk about injuries all the time. If you make it to the field, Justin Herbert's going to be, I don't want to say just fine. He'll probably feel really sore after the game. Maybe you can get some shots in on him. But speaking of shots, maybe he takes one. Right. And he'll be able to sling it just like you mentioned right there. And if they can get anything going on the ground, that's obviously going to be a huge boost for them because they could not run it at all against the Jaguars on Sunday. And by the way. And that's like what you said once about the Ravens in 2014. The Jaguars are a math problem that we'll deal with on the quiz later. (laughs) Next week, we'll be talking about them an awful lot. Uh, right now, we got to worry about this Charger team and hopefully get a first win somehow. Like, you knew where I was going with that. Mm-hmm. Watching, I haven't seen the whole game back, but getting ready for Telestrator and watching hey. that Chargers-Jaguars game. Hey. Oh, like, yeah. Ugh. Like, I don't know. I do not want to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I do not want to see Halloween. I do not want to see another episode of The Boys. <laughs> if you've seen The Boys... Uh, you know exactly that what that I'm talking about. superhero comedy, oh. but it's a dark comedy kind of thing? Yeah, it's dark. <laughs> and by dark, I mean... <laughs> Would you describe Deadpool as dark? No, it's comedy. Comedy. It's a comedy superhero It's movie. graphic. It has some graphic moments. Yes, the boys, it's not dark. The boys has some graphic moments. Let's just say that... Oh, it's blue and dark. Oh, yeah. It's okay. so blue, it's almost, it's almost black. It's that dark. Okay. I mean, the... <laughs> The first episode of the final of this final season, this last season, is it Amazon? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Amazon, yeah. I should watch it, it, but it's got. I mean, it's a really. My son Jack talked me into it, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I don't know, man. And he's like, just watch the first episode, and it was really intriguing. And then in the last five minutes, there's so much red all over the place. Like my, it, this looks like one of my English papers <laughs> back in the day. It's gory i mean really but anybody that's seen the boys and has stayed up on it knows exactly how this last this past season the premiere started and it's one of the most unbelievable things i've ever how'd we get on this subject i don't know i don't know how we go oh because the jaguars um what do they have to do with the boys they're nasty Oh, they're nasty. They're nasty. Ooh, I don't like that they're at all. Graphic. How about Zay Jones? Ten catches, eighty-five yards against the Chargers. I know they're getting. I mean, Ugh. the game before they got it from Christian Kirk, uh, who had a couple of touchdowns, one a little, a little forward pitch, basically from Trevor Lawrence. But 
I don't know that Christian Kirk's ever going to be completely worth the money, but he has been a really good signing for them to add yeah. to Trevor Lawrence. I know we'll face the Jags, but it's an AFC South team, so we're always keeping tabs on him. I wonder what happened against Washington, and maybe it was just kind of the first game and all that, but they got the right team because it's a team that they own in week two, and they also gained confidence from that. I just don't want a 2017-type game next no. week. I mean, I want to win. No. I want to win no matter right. what. But the Jags, whenever they have their chance, they take advantage of right. it because it doesn't happen very often, and they want to make you pay for all those wins. You right. remember all those wins you got over us over the last few years? Take that and right. take another and take another. And that's what the 2017 game down there was like when they swept the Texans. But since then, it's been all Texans wins against the Jags. But seeing what they did to the Chargers last weekend was definitely an eye-opener. Your next two opponents yep. squaring off against each other. Yeah, and the thing about getting this one is going down to Duval County with confidence. Going down, we got the win. We're one, two, and one. We yeah. played better. We sort of found what we want. As Spencer now would let's say, take on the next division opponent, and let's go toe-to-toe with these guys. Spencer would say demonstrated ability. Confidence starts with demonstrated ability, and I kind of like that. If you can demonstrate you can do it, you feel better about it, then you can do it again, so do it this weekend against L.A. I okay, say San Diego. so I'll ask you this. Is you, it wrong? Is it weird that I'm not as tempted as I once was to say San Diego? No, I, I still feel like the Chargers should never left. Right, but... I'm but, not saying it as much. No, I'm, I'm proud and of you. It's going to be weird to say Vegas. I'm going to say the Raiders a lot. Yeah, when the we Raiders. Go there. That's the best way to do it because they were in L.A. and I remember that. I'm old enough to remember when they were in L.A. Boys and girls. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I, the Raiders and the Chargers. That's how I. I. I don't know. I try and, and look at it that way. But if you can have one thing Sunday, World I mean, peace. you can. The things that that you've been doing well you will continue to do well. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to give you one thing. Okay. Run defense holds them under 100. Oh. Or or you score one touchdown in the fourth quarter. <laughs> All right, and I don't know. All right, so this is let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. Let's make a sports Door deal. One. Door one, you hold them under 100 oh. yards rushing on, let's say, 25 carries, so they're under four yards a carry. The other one is... You were guaranteed to score one touchdown in the fourth quarter. Now, keep in mind, last year, they ended up scoring 24. I think it was ended up being 24, if I remember correctly. Wait, wait, wait. 24 yeah. total points? or 20? 24 in the fourth quarter. Because remember, they had the Nico touchdown. They had the Tavier touchdown. And there was a touchdown, I, I want to say, Dang. before that. Could be wrong. Right, but I remember that there was a, on both sides, both teams scored a bit in that fourth quarter. Because that game was going under if you're that kind of. All right, so. <laughs> if, if that, like, fourth quarter, Burkhead, touchdown. Um, That's one. Nico had a touchdown. I'm right. And then uh, Tavier had the pick six. Yep. That's three touchdowns. Three touchdowns. In the fourth quarter. So I'm guaranteeing you. You get a touchdown, and you get a touchdown. <laughs> Oprah was there giving out touchdowns. It was so great. We need her back. So you're saying at least so one touchdown? So you get at least one. But only one. Oh, I only or get you one. Only get one touchdown, but you're guaranteed a touchdown in the fourth quarter, it. or you hold them to less than 100 yards rushing. I'm going to take my chances, Monty, on the TD because that's something I know I haven't held anybody to a low rushing total yet. Okay, 
you know, Jonathan Taylor, don't get me started on week two. And obviously what just happened against the Bears with the 281, maybe I should take the under the hundy. But Herbert can still throw for 400 on you. So you want to lock in that touchdown? I'm going to lock quarter. in that touchdown. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and do that. That's probably a bad move. What would you do? I probably would take touchdown in the fourth quarter, too, just because really? I think the Chargers' offensive line issues are leading to their run game problems. And now without Rashawn Slater, I think those issues are going to be I, – I don't want to say snap your fingers and you're going to hold them under 100 yards, but I think this is the most banged-up line you're facing – because of the injuries, I think it's probably the fourth best offensive line. And I think Austin Eckler, as much as I like him, I don't think he's in the class of any of the guys that you've seen uh, at this point. I think he's good. I think he's really good. But I don't think he's the runner any of these other three have been. So I would take the guaranteed touchdown in the fourth quarter. And the thought that they can get it done against the ground. They, they've got to this week. They have to. And the point I made to Lovey when we were talking to him earlier this week was, and, I, and he even said it too. You, you and I sitting here all the time, we're like, well, if you take those two plays out. Yeah. And we all know you can't do it. However, if on those plays, there's a major mistake for some reason that you know you can correct, then you could take some solace in the fact that, okay, maybe we be, we'll be able to do this a little bit better. And on those runs, I mean, Fields scramble for 29 yards. I got a feeling Herbert's not going to scramble with those ribs. I mean, he might move out of the pocket, but I don't think he's going to scramble. Not the way Justin No, could. at the worst, he runs for a first down right. once, maybe twice. And you're not going to get burned on a reverse again because those corners, I would imagine, are talking to all week about that. So the 52-yard run. Somebody blew a gap assignment up front, and somebody missed a tackle. At least one tackle was missed. Tackles, you're going to miss them. You just hope you don't miss them on a long run like that. But jumping out of a gap and being correct in your gap, that's – you got. It. You can fix that. You can fix that a lot of different ways. And so my hope is, as Lovey said, on the 36 other runs, you held them under four yards of carry. So I don't. And I think the Bears are going to be able to run the ball better than the Chargers. So if you can do that and make them purely one-dimensional, which you did last year, all of a sudden the fourth quarter becomes a little bit easier for you, hopefully. And then you can put that seven up on the board and walk out of there with a W. That's my hope. All right, I'll give you another one. Now I get to be oh, Monty okay. Hall or all Wayne right, Wayne Brady. Brady. All right, here we go. You get to have – so the fourth quarter touchdown is still one of the options yes. here. Guaranteed one touchdown in the fourth quarter. Or defense gets two picks. I oh. can't tell you where they're going, what part of the field, how it's going to happen, what the yak is after the interception. I can't give you any of that. But I can guarantee you two picks or your offense gets a touchdown in the fourth quarter. Let's make a deal. Well, if history is any guide – if history is any guide – the two interceptions last week. How many points did we get off those two interceptions last week? Not enough. You got zero on one possession, then three on another. Did you get the? Did you get a? No, field because that that interception that Jalen had coming the other direction, I think, was the interception in the end zone. I think. Either way, the most you got was three. I have to double check, but you didn't get much off those turnovers, and that was something that everybody we've talked to, whether it be at Rex or Lovey or Nick, talked about that. You get interceptions. Um, you, you got, you know, AJ can mention that you, you get an interception. You better put at least, at least three up on the board. So they weren't able to do that, especially the one in the fourth quarter. That was a big one. Um, because you even got great field position with it. So, so you'll take the touchdown. I'll take the touchdown. That's unbelievable. I'll take though, the touchdown. Saying this, 
They're due. They are due for a fourth quarter yes. eruption. Yes. Let's go. Score yes. the Chargers. Come on. They're beaten up. They're going to come in here. Get your fans behind you. Mills' numbers at home are mm-hmm. a stark right. contrast from what he's done on the road. This is where he likes to play. The communication is better. He will be much better here. I don't know what that looks like. I can't define that numbers-wise, but it's going to be a much better performance to the air than it's been on the road. Now you got Pierce clicking mm-hmm. along. Let's see if this offense can get rolling a little bit. Yes, find that for 60 minutes, not 45, mm-hmm. not 30, Yeah, 60 Yeah, uh, at minutes. the end of the day, I want to look at a stat sheet. I want to look at a win, but I also want to look at the stat sheet and say that's a full game right. work. There's a lot of right. protein and carbohydrates and a balanced meal there with running yes. and passing and, and takeaways and all of that. Give me a strawberry yogurt with chocolate chips, please. Although I can't have chocolate chips because of gout, but that's a different story <laughs> altogether. Mark, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Johnny. It's always great to catch up with the voice of the Texans, of course. But I also like catching up with my pals. You heard DP have an interview with Scott Quesenberry. Well, Drew Doherty's going to step in and do a little In the Lab with me next right here on Texans All Access. More Texans Radio is on the way. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. From Goodwill and the Ad Council. From Goodwill and the Ad Council. Texans Radio. The Drive continues. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And it's time for the Texans Stats Challenge brought to you by Schlumberger. Tonight, the stat is 2.6. 2.6. No, that was not my grade point average. My grade point average actually was a 4.0 in high school. In fact, today... I was actually down in my old neck of the woods, Richmond, Texas. A little school dedication to one of my favorite people in the world, my former English teacher, uh, Maxine Phelan. If you're down that way, go check out Maxine Phelan Elementary. Great school, great little area, and I'm glad they named the school after her. Three years ago, I had a chance to talk to the school board there at Lamar Consolidated Independent School District and try and convince them to name the school after uh, Miss Phelan, and they did. So, Ms. Phelan, as I said today, I love you. You are the absolute best. No one better to have named, uh, to have a school named after than the ultimate teacher, ultimate leader, the ultimate hero. Uh, you're the best. So, that was how I spent today. That's what I did. My GPA was 4.0 back then. 2.6 is the run average of the L.A. Chargers. They've got to stay there. That's a number that at the end of the game, when you look up, they've got 25 carries at a 2.6 average. 
that's about 64, 64 yards, 63, 64 yards. That's a winning number. You can't look up and see 281, uh, 40 carries, 7 point da-da-da per carry. No. This has got to be one of those Chargers average 2.6 or less kind of games. That's what they're averaging. It's time to keep them there. Now, the flip side of that is they do like to throw the ball, and they're effective throwing the ball. I should say it that way. They're effective throwing the football. But no Rashawn Slater for the second straight year against us. I don't think that offensive line is quite at the level that we've seen the last three weeks, especially in the run game. So they will use the short passing game to give them a run game component. But you can't let, whenever they do, turn and hand it to Austin Eckler. Let him four, five, six yards of carry. That can't happen. I know in L.A. they're probably thinking, look, this is our get-well game on the ground. Well, you have to change that thinking early and often and make it a throwing game and let this pass rush eat. That's what you have to do. 2.6 yards per carry. That stat is part of the Schlumberger Stats Challenge. Go to HoustonTexans.com to take the Schlumberger Stats Challenge. That's a winner. That's a key. You may hear that tomorrow, or excuse me, Friday, in our keys to the game. 2.6, that's the magic number. I know if you get into threes, but you don't want them to be above average running the ball because they're well above average throwing it. Don't let them be above average and well above average. Shut the run game completely down. Let this pass rush eat without Rashawn Slater on the edge. And maybe, just maybe, you can get enough hits on Justin Herbert to make him feel very uncomfortable. All right, it's time for In the Lab. In the Lab is a podcast with two people, myself and Drew Doherty, and we like to geek out. We like to geek out about a number of things, numbers like 2.6, but a few other things. We've got our cream of the crop, but we lament the inability to finish the last three weeks to start. Drew, take it away. And we've gone over it. Everyone else has gone over it. Texans did not finish again. It was not much fun. Correct. Defense gave up too many rushing yards. Not much fun. Okay, so there were a few good things that came out of Sunday's game. Mm-hmm. The best, I think, was... And first of all, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm with you, though. It's, it's frustrating. I, I said this to Mark. I think one of the frustrating things about being that close is you're like, man, we're close. Yeah. Like We've had these leads in the fourth quarter. and Or we've been tied going into the fourth quarter. And just like you said, you can't finish... I think the thing about that is it's it's easy outsider looking in to go, well, well, well make make that play, make that one play, and you're good. It, it's it's more it's more than that. It's putting yourself in position over the entire game to make that particular play at that point, and just haven't been able to do it in the fourth quarter. Um, had the ball with different times to take a lead or uh, tie the game, and just haven't been able to come up with that clutch play, and hopefully that changes. Uh, sitting at 0-2-1, hopefully that'll change uh, coming up and it starts with the Chargers. Yeah, you say put yourself in position, and the special teams for the Texans did that throughout the game. They did it in the first, the second, the third, the fourth quarter. They were tremendous. Yep. In fact, if you were so to rank good. the special teams' performances in franchise history, what we saw Sunday has got to be within the top three all time for the Texans. Boy, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, it's tough to quantify. I'd have to go yeah, back game is. by game. Yeah. But listen listen to some of the stuff that we saw. Okay. Okay. Cam Johnston, all five of his punts downed inside the 20. 
Kaimi hmm. Fairbairn, he made both of his field goals. In that he, win, too. In that win. Yeah. When he was kicking off, he did a good job of that. I'm going to get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. Desmond King, the one punt return he had, 31 yards. Yep. It set up the last touchdown. I mean, it got you down well inside the 50 on the other side of the, the field for the, uh, for the Texans offense. You convert a fake punt that winds up leading to a field goal later. Yeah. And it kept your defense off the field because you were you don't make that fake punt. The defense has to go out there. They're going to be exhausted, you know, because they'd they'd had a lot of time on the mm-hmm. field in the second quarter. That flips basically in the third. All right, but I talk about position, field position. Ten drives. There were twelve drives total for the Chicago Bears offense. Two of them started because of interceptions. All right, right. The other ten punts and kickoffs by the Texans. None of them were better than the 25-yard line because two kickoffs went into the end zone and were touchbacks. So the best that they had starting field position-wise out of those 10 drives was the 25. But on average, after a kickoff or punt, they started at the 16.9-yard line, the 17-yard line. I mean, your special teams unit did everything it could to help you win the game. I mean, I shudder to think... If they have just an average, yeah. Before you lose by double digits, I think. You know, yeah, I think you're right. If, if all things are the same, yeah. With with Justin Fields even playing as poorly as he did, you're you're probably right about that. I, and I will I will say this, and I don't want to give the defense a pass at all. When you give up 281 yards, you give up 281 yards. Yeah. But what ends up happening sometimes, and this happened with Derrick Henry in 2020 up at Tennessee, the Texans didn't do a horrible job against Derrick Henry, but they jumped. Out of a gap, a linebacker jumped out of his gap, Zach Cunningham, jumped out of his gap, for some reason jumped into the backside A instead of frontside A, and that's where Henry went 94 yards. Well, Henry ran for 200 and something yards that day. Well, 94 of them came on that run. Mm-hmm. So it was like 100 and, I don't know, 110 yards without that. Now, it's still giving 110 yards, but to the, arguably the best back in the league, that is not bad, but then you see that, that grotesque total of 200. The reason I bring that up is, Khalil Herbert had a 52-yard run. Equinemius had a 41-yard run. Uh, Justin Fields had a 20-yard scramble, and Herbert had a 19-yard run elsewhere. That accounted for 141 yards of the 140. Yeah. Of the 281, sorry. So that was 141 on four runs, 140 on 36 runs. And it, that really dawned on me, Drew, as I was watching, because I'm like, man, this – I went back and watched the game. I was like, this isn't, this isn't as bad as I thought. Yeah. I thought I was going to watch this and just want to puke. And I'm watching going, oh, that's a pretty good stop here. It's a pretty good run stop there. But it was those four plays that completely skew the total. But you know what, though? And I'm with you. But you can't get rid of those four plays. That's the problem. You can't. And also, you still were able to let them run 36 times. When right. you run over 30 times, you're usually going to win. Right. Exactly. And the Texans have they've given up, what, 28, 41, and 30-something carries in each of yeah, these. Yeah. For, I wrote about yeah, it in Dear Drew, actually. But, yeah, they're giving up an average, or they give giving up an average like five and change per per carry. I think what those four runs... Only the Titans are worse than the other. What those four runs do and have done is they're exposing where the Texans' issues have come from. On the first one, you got a player jumping out of his gap, and it left a massive... I mean, when they showed the end zone view of that Khalil Herbert 52-yard run, like, what the heck? Mm-hmm. Justin Fields scramble, like you you knew you were going to give up a scramble to Justin Fields. You just hope he wasn't going to make it a 79-yard run, not a 20-yard run. The 41-yard reverse run, you got a defensive back that's eyes are in the wrong spot. 
he's watching what his key's doing, and he's just like, oh. Instead of seeing what the, the receiver's doing and then going, oh, wait a second, I got to go up and replace, that turns into a 41-yard run. The tackling on the Herbert 52-yard run was not good. The tackling on Herbert's 19-yard run was not good. The, the tackling and the physicality on Herbert's touchdown run was not good. So those four runs plus the touchdown run just exposed really what the Texans' issues have been when they've gone down there. Now, the flip side of that, like you said, is the special teams. I mean, holy smokes. It was fantastic. Graylin Arnold made that stop inside the 10, mm-hmm. flying down as a gunner or as some teams the like call it a flyer. Their coverage units have been great. Outstanding on kickoffs and punts. Really great. The fake punt. I had seen the Texans run a fake punt at some point in training camp or uh, practice, walk through, whatever. I had seen them run it. I knew they had. And every team has a fake punt or two or three in their arsenal. They all have them. They all have it. It's just a matter of when you call it. I think that's the key is – What's the timing? What's the right time? The Bears came out of punt safe look, meaning they had their front seven, front six, whatever, out on the field as if they were expecting something untoward. And then MJ Stewart, and what I loved about it is how they set it up. On a punt earlier, it caught my attention that Dario Gumbuale went in motion. And I went, hmm, okay. So Dario goes in motion again, but I didn't see that until later after the game because I had switched sides of the field. Because mm-hmm. when the ball's in the you know, 40s, I, I got to make a decision. Do I stay behind it or do I go in front? Well, I had already moved in front thinking that they were going to pick up a first down right. and that they were going to kind of move a little bit. So I got there in preparation. So I was watching it from behind. And so I see fake punt. like, oh, man, did they get enough? And when you see a TV copy, you can see they clearly got it. But it was perfectly executed. It was perfectly run. MJ sold it. And then the front got enough push to get them enough for the first down. I thought it was brilliant. Frank Ross and Sean Baker have been unbelievable to special teams. Units have been great. Um, They've put emphasis on that, and it's really telling. And now the other two units have got to step up and match special teams. And when they do, then we're going to have a football team that we really like to watch. But those two have to match what the special teams are doing. Speaking of MJ Stewart, he came into the game with four special teams tackles. He added an assist. So I think that goes to five now for him. That was that was coming in for was the tops on the uh, the Texans. So MJ Stewart, quiet, yes. nice addition, absolutely free agency for the Texans Very much and so. their special teams units. Okay, time to get into who you and I think will be the cream of the crop. Oh boy, cream of the crop this Sunday against the Chargers because this is a uh, boy. This feels like the 2011 Texans or something with these guys. I mean, their quarterback has mm-hmm. broken ribs. <laughs> They've lost yeah. their left tackle. There's their all pro wide receiver is banged up. Yep. Might not play. It's it's a it's a mash unit. So with all that in mind, because I think that plays a big, big role in what we see and will see on Sunday, who's your cream of the cropper to watch from the Houston Texans? The cream of the crop. Titus Howard. All right. Two reasons. Mighty Titus Howard. I like Number that. one, first of all, I don't know. Joey Bosa got hurt in that game last week against the Jaguars. Groin injury. And there's no telling whether, he, whether he's going to play. He didn't play last year. I think it was COVID situation the last year. But there were a lot of guys on the Texans side that didn't play. Brandon Cooks didn't play due to COVID last year. So it was kind of a, in some sense, an even matchup with injuries on, on both sides and COVID on both sides. I mean, I remember what our offensive line looked like that day. But I bring up Titus because of that Joey Bosa and Joey likes to he'll rush from either side but he, he likes that left side 
Um, and, and Titus has faced him before. His first game as a right starting ta- starting right tackle, he had to face Joey Bosa. Big Calif- game in 2019. Out in California, yeah. and he had a really solid game against him. So Titus has had some success. But it's time it's time for Titus to be the first-round pick that we have, have wanted him to be. It's time. There have been flashes. There's not enough dominance. And he can take over games. He's got the athleticism. He's got the power, the strength, the length. He's got everything you want to be able to take over a game and say, you know what? Run the ball behind me on this right side. Run over here. I'm going to dominate this fool across from me. And it's got to be that sort of thing. And, and Titus a lot of times gets caught two, two and a half seconds on a block, and it looks okay. And then that guy ends up somehow getting ending up on a tackle. Those things have got to get cleaned up. Titus has got to take his game to a different level. My eyes would be on him for a lot of this game because of A, Bosa, and B, that fact right there where Titus can take this entire offensive line to a different level with his play on the right side. I like it because if he's doing that, you're also probably going to be able to run the ball. And you ran the ball really, really well against the Chargers last year. Now, Los Angeles comes in with an NFL worst 2.6 yards per carry average. Mm -hmm. So if there's any weekend to get right against the run, now is as good as any. Let's do that. Let's make, yes. sure, make sure that that happens. Maybe keep him at that 2.6 per or better. Yes. You cool with that? I'm cool with that. I almost went to that side of the ball, and then thinking of Bosa, I thought about, I thought about Titus. I like it. I'm going to stay on the offense with you, but I'm going to go with Nico Collins because mm-hmm. think about what he did against those Chargers last year. Yep. Texans are trying to run out the clock late. They've got a bit of a lead, and they throw it to Nico, and instead of just diving down and killing the clock, he gets six. Yep. First touchdown cool. of his career. Yeah. yeah. That was a really good – they had a nice little chemistry. They saw something there. He took advantage. Davis Mills took advantage. Touchdown. Need to see a little bit more, I think, from Nico. He's starting to come on. I think he's playing a little bit better each game. Yep. Had a nice game the other day, but I think he can do more. I think he will do more, and I'm looking to that and for that, not just in the first, second, and third quarter, like we mentioned, but in the fourth. Let's get him a big pass because he's done it before in the fourth with Mills. Let's replicate that. Let's keep that going yeah. because the Texans got to, got to, got to get a win. I mean, this is just, oof, they've been blown out. They've had the lead in the, they've had the lead in two of the games in the fourth quarter. They were tied at the start right. of the four, fourth quarter in this last one. Let's finish them off and let's have Nico help do that. Yeah. It'd be nice to get that win on pink ribbon day uh, at home. Getting back home is going to be nice because we went two on the road. Yep. Then we get this one game at home. Then we don't come back home until November. I th- think, think about it. Think about it. When you walked off the field after you played the Colts and tied them, you had only one more game until Halloween weekend yeah, at right, home right. because the bye is mixed in there. Right. Your road trips are mixed so in there. So back-to-back yeah. road trips, back-to-back weeks. Then you come home for this one. Then you go at Jacksonville, bye week, at Las Vegas before yep. you come home again. So <laughs> you were hoping that you could steal one in some sense, at Denver. I mean, before the season started, you're like, man, you think he could catch Denver at the right time and steal one? You were right there to do it. Mm-hmm. Could you go to Chicago and beat Chicago? The passing game struggled. Can you finish them off? And you just couldn't make the plays. You threw the interception in the end zone. Um, you threw the interception at the end of the game. And you just couldn't take full advantage uh, in the fourth quarter. Those games were ripe for the picking. I mean, for people saying, hey, they could be 3-0. and Yeah, they could be 3-0. Mm-hmm. They could be 3-0. and but they just haven't made those plays in the final 15 minutes. It's time to do it for a full 60 minutes and really show what this team can do before they go take on what has now become a 2022 juggernaut down in Duval County, the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs>
But that, my dear friend John Harris, is for next week. Well, I am John Harris. Sorry, in third person? Did I just go third person kind of myself in some way, shape, or form? Yeah, I kind of did. I didn't mean to, but Jaguars for next week. Take care of the business at hand, and that would be the L.A. Chargers on Sunday. Noon kick, so that's a 10 a.m. body clock game for the Chargers. I kind of like that. They've got guys banged up. You've got to take advantage of it and get that first win of the year. All right, when we get back, let's go around the NFL, presented by Whataburger. That's next right here on Texas All Access. Stay tuned for more Texans Radio. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed. And they're the stuff inside your stuff, even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. It's from Goodwill and the Ad Council. It's from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Now, back with more on Texans Radio. We got one final segment of this edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and a huge lover of Whataburger. If you see me, you know I love Whataburger. Not just because the food's great, but because of what they're doing with the Houston Food Bank. The Texans, Whataburger, and the Houston Food Bank are teaming up to help them take on their toughest opponent ever, Houston area hunger. Just donate a dollar the next time you're in the area of Whataburger, and that dollar will go to help the Houston Food Bank. And you'll even get a coupon for a free Whataburger with purchase of a 32-ounce drink and medium fry for every buck that you give. So, from now until October 10th, give a buck and be a part of the team that's wiping out hunger in Houston. It's Whataburger, sponsor of our Around the NFL segment this week. And it starts, actually, with the opponent the Texans are playing on Sunday, and that is the LA Chargers. This not great news for the Chargers. Joey Bosa will miss, well, He'll miss this game, and that's all that really matters. He is going on IR, going to have surgery on that, I think it's a bicep, uh, excuse me, check that, groin. Chargers pass rusher Joey Bosa, as reported by Ian Rappaport, will have surgery imminently from expert Dr. William Myers at the Vincera Institute in Philadelphia to correct a core muscle injury. Recovery time can vary, but Bosa on IR is out more than a month. That sounds like what J.J. Watt had back in 16, I think it was. He will go on injured reserve. He should be back later in the season. Later in the season does not matter. Why? Because the Texans don't play the Chargers later in the season. Now, if they were somehow mean the playoffs miraculously, then they have to worry about it then. No Joey Bosa Second year in a row. I think last year, if I remember correctly, it was COVID. 
Rayshon Slater is going to be lost for the year. So Rayshon Slater's out. So that's two Pro Bowlers for the Chargers that are out of this one against the Texans. Justin Herbert, Pro Bowl quarterback, has been dealing with the rib cartilage situation. Did play last week against the Jags. Some would say not great. Didn't get a win. They only scored 10 points. But he played. I would guess in a uh, must-win situation for both teams, I would imagine Herbert's going to play. But one other aspect of this with a rib injury, got to get up in a plane, all that. I, I don't know how that all works. So Justin Herbert, I'm guessing Herbert's playing. Also more than likely going to play back after missing last week is Keenan Allen. I think Keenan Allen ends up being a big, major factor in what the Chargers want to do. I think it ends up being a controlled passing game with Keenan Allen and with Austin Eckler out of the backfield. We'll see if Mike Williams is going to be uh, ready and able to go. But information and news coming out of the Chargers, not good for the Chargers. But can the Texans take advantage of it? That's the whole thing. Obviously, with Joey Bosa, there's also Khalil Mack, and there's Derwin James. So the Chargers have two players in Mack and Derwin James they didn't have in the matchup last year. Now, J.C. Jackson's another one to keep an eye on. The corner has not been able to get fully back. We'll see if the uh, free agent signee for the Chargers does make it back for Sunday against the Texans. So a lot of question marks about the health of the Chargers at this particular moment. One thing I don't know that that we talked about, Miles Garrett had a car accident. And I want to say it was this weekend, I believe. But um, he was not in the Browns team building on Wednesday. It was a car crash that he had, single car crash on Monday. Garrett suffered shoulder and biceps strains in the crash. But Coach Kevin Stefanski said he will be at the team facility tomorrow, in Tuesday, as he continues to recover. So he was not there on Wednesday. Now, Texans don't play the Browns for a while, but I know there are a lot of Aggies out there that want to know what other Aggies are doing. And look, Miles Garrett is one of the best players. And really, I, I don't know why. This has really kind of flown on the radar. I don't know. Maybe I, it's just because I've been checked out this week with a lot going on. I just haven't heard people talking or writing a lot about Miles Garrett being banged up after that single car crash on Monday. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. A big thanks to Mark Vandermeer, to Nick Casario, to D.P. Sidhu, to Scott Quesenberry, to Matt Money Smith of the Chargers, and, of course, my main man, Drew Doherty, and our In the Lab podcast. And a big thanks to all of you for being here. You guys are the best. You make uh, every single show fun to do because I know you're out there listening and supporting us. So thank you, thank you. Thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. I'm more resourceful than I thought. My suit can still make an impression. My video games are still game changers. And my lamp can bring others a bright future. Because when I donate my stuff to Goodwill, it helps fund job placement and training for people right in my community. Now my stuff gets a second chance. And will give someone in my community a second chance too. Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. That's goodwill.org. This message brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council.